evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zugran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the arena of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In many of our broadcasts, Pat has the privilege of interviewing renowned Christian apologists from across the country, and today is no exception. Today on our show, Pat will be interviewing Greg Kokel and discussing his latest book entitled Story of Reality. If you're unable to hear this entire broadcast, all of our messages are available on our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now, here's Pat Zucran with his guest, Greg Kogel, with part two of this interview. Well, look at you know, I think most people know, if they're honest with themselves, that they ain't God. They're creatures like other creatures on the earth. Now, we're very special creatures, but we're creatures just the same. And this is where I think the Christian worldview captures something important from both of these contrary or competing worldviews. We acknowledge there is a physical world, uh, but it's not ultimate. It's not the only thing. And we also acknowledge that there's mind, God, but he's not the only thing. And we also acknowledge that human beings are different from the rest of creation. We're not divine, but we're not junk either. We are made in God's image so that sets us apart from everything else. And, and, and this changes everything for human beings, because now we can understand the problem of evil. Our, our whole story is about the problem of evil, frankly. Uh, it starts in chapter three of our story and doesn't get resolved until 66 books later, you know. But we can take the evil seriously. We can also take redemption seriously, because there is a solution to the problem. It's actually on a couple of different levels. And uh, we can treat man in a way that's consistent with our deep intuitions about human beings. We know we're creatures, but we also know we're special. That's why it's okay to cast termites, but not Jews, because humans aren't animals, mere animals. We have some transcendent value. So all of these things fall into place nicely in the Christian story of reality, but don't fit either, uh, certain details fit, don't fit either the materialistic matterism story of reality or the Eastern religion mindism story of reality. And I think this gives tremendous power to our view because it has a, it matches up to the way the world is. Of course, these are all details that I work through in the book and explain as I'm telling the story how these other worldviews are not going to be adequate to account for the way the world actually is. Yes, we're speaking with Greg Kokel, founder and president of Stand to Reason. they got a great website, sdr.org. And Greg will be here in Hawaii September 21st and 22nd, and we're talking about his new book here, and he'll also be talking about this at the conference, A Story of Reality. Now, Greg, so all worldviews and, you know, philosophical systems have a story, and, and one of the things you state is that they cannot all be right at the same time. That's right. And, you know, as you stated briefly here, you showed how they contradict one another at the fundamental level. They cannot all, all these stories cannot be right at the same time, as many, you know, believe today in a belief called pluralism. Yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, it's somewhat mystifying uh, to see the, um, the habit, on the one hand, of people saying, well, look at all religions are equally true. You can't say that Christianity is true over Judaism or Islam, or the Muslims can't say that Islam is true over Hinduism or Buddhism. You know, everybody's right. Well, this is nonsense. They can't all be right if the views compete. 
compete with each other in their foundational claims. So if there is a God, and maybe that's an open question, but if there is a God, he is either personal or not. (laughs) He's either a person, so to speak, or he is a a force. But if it turns out he's just an all-pervasive force, well then, you know, the Hindus are right, and the Muslims and the Jews and the Christians are wrong. If he's a person, then the Muslims and Christians and Jews are right on that point, and the Hindus are wrong, but there's no circumstance in which they can both be right. And we could just march down through the fundamental tenets of each religion to show the contradictory nature of those views. They could all be wrong, but they can't all be right. And when I say that they can't all be right, that's not bigotry speaking. That's just plain old math. It doesn't work out in the multiplication, you know, in the in the uh, the calculus, and so consequently, I think it becomes foolish for us to make this claim that all religions are equally true. I tell you what I think most people think when they say this, though. I think what they mean is all religions are equally false. But you're welcome to the fantasy of your choice, and all fantasies are equally valuable as fantasies. But there, there, that becomes the most intolerant kind of condescending view of all, it seems to me. Yes, you know, Greg, often you hear the story of uh, six blind Hindus and the elephant, you know, a prince sitting on a balcony is watching these six blind Hindus touch different parts of the elephant, and they all start arguing with each other. This is a tree. No, it's a spear. It's a rope. You know, it's a tree trunk. It's a wall, and they're all arguing with each other, and that's often the picture that uh, people are saying is what's happening in the different world religions. What's wrong with that analogy? Or well, that yeah, I, that, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually wrote a piece about it you can find at str.org on our Stand the Reasons website, and I call it The Trouble with the Elephant. <laughs> and uh, first of all, just keep in mind that, as you pointed out, it's an analogy. It's not an argument. It's it's a way of claiming what the the discussion about religion is actually like, and that uh, the conclusion from the analogy is that each religion has a little piece of the truth, and if you put them all together, you'll get the whole thing. And in fact, this is, in the story itself, what the prince, the Raja, who's up on the balcony, who's not blind, is telling the blind people who are having the argument. He says, look at the elephant's a big animal. You each have a little piece of it. You put it all together, you get the whole thing. The question, though, is whether religion is like the elephant. That is, is it possible that each of us have a little bit of it And then if we put them all together, there is harmony. Well, the answer is no, (laughs) because you can't take the central features of a religion and put them together and get harmony. As I mentioned, the monotheistic religions of the world claim that God is personal. Eastern religions, Hinduism in particular, claim that God is not personal. Actually, Buddhism doesn't even have a God in it. God's existence is irrelevant to Buddhism. And so how can these all be part of the same picture? They contradict each other. And, um, and, and this is what's wrong with the parable, is that it doesn't really capture the issue. What if I were to say, oh, okay, what if, you, if there are two blind men in the conversation you just described, and one says, the elephant is so small I can fit him in the palm of my hand. And the other one says, no, the elephant is, is as big as a house. Well, it's pretty clear there that those two claims can't be reconciled with each other. The, 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 the tail being like a rope and the tusk being like a spear and the leg being like a tree, well, those can be reconciled, but not this issue of size. 
and that's why I think the parable itself is not helpful. It's misleading. Here's the curious thing about the parable, Pat, is that it actually, in a certain way, depicts our worldview in this sense. Notice that in the parable, you have blind people groping about being able to touch certain parts of the elephant, but, but not able to put it all together. Okay, who solves the problem? The one who solves the problem is the Raja, who is not blind, who sees the world the way it really is, and describes for the blind people the fuller nature of reality. Well, this is exactly our view, that in fact, we are groping around and we can get some things right, but getting, uh, pulling it all together into a complete picture, no, we need someone who sees it as it really is. And that's where God comes in, communicating through his revelation, scripture, and through his son Jesus, what the world is really like. So in a very odd kind of way, that illustration supports our view, or illustrates our view, if we get the particulars right. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, Greg, walk us through the Christian story. We probably won't be able to get through the whole thing in this interview, so they'll have to come hear you when you're here in Hawaii. But walk us through the Christian story. We begin with Genesis 1-1, and you state that this is very important that Christians start here, especially in the presentation of the gospel. You say that too often we start in the middle of the story with Jesus. Right. However, we need to start with creation, Genesis 1-1. Tell us about that. Yeah, to get the full picture. So let me give you the backbone first to kind of lay out an outline here. Because what I wanted to do, I wanted to engage my reader with this book, Story of Reality. I wanted to engage my reader in a way that was memorable and accessible. Uh, I I didn't want to write another theological textbook. But I did want to give a kind of primer on Christianity's basics. And so the book is built around five words that tell the most important details of the Christian story in the order that they took place. And here are those five words. God, man, Jesus, cross, and resurrection. And here I mean the final resurrection to reward or judgment. The subtitle of the book is How the World Began, How It Ends, and Everything Important That Happens in Between. And there are those five things, the beginning God, then man, then Jesus, then cross, and then the ending, the final resurrection. And I start with God because that's where the story starts, in the beginning, God. And it starts with God for a very important reason, because God is the main character of the story, and the story is all about him. The story is not about man, human beings. The story is about God and his purposes. So in a very real sense... It is not actually so much about God's wonderful plan for our lives as it is our lives for God's wonderful plan. The first has the tail wagging the dog a little bit. We don't put man at the center in any sense. This project, this story is all about God. Now, of course, man plays an important part. He's the next character. Okay, so man man is created by God in order to be in friendship with him. And he's made unique, as I said, he's made like God, even though he isn't a little God. But made in God's image changes everything. But then man gets himself into trouble. 
And that's where the fall part of our story comes in. Human beings had a choice. They could affirm the friendship by obeying their Heavenly Father, their sovereign Lord, or they could rebel. And they, they did not use their freedom well. They chose it to rebel. They followed a tempter with a temptation, a terrible lie, and they believed it. And when they, when they disobeyed God, everything changed. And, um, you know, we, we tell our kids not to do certain things or to do other things because we're putting boundaries down. And we know if they disobey us that they're going to break something. <laughs> maybe they're going to break a dish or a vase or a tool, or maybe they're going to break a, a, a relationship, or maybe they're going to break a whole life. And so our boundaries are there to protect them, okay? And God is the same way. And what happened is when our first parents disobeyed God, uh, they broke their relationship with God, they broke their relationship with each other, they broke their relationship with the environment. Uh, To put it simply, they broke the whole world. And this is why there's a problem of evil. There's a problem of evil on the Christian account of reality. We can explain it. We don't have to ignore it. We don't have to deny it. Our story is about the problem of evil. So problem of evil, it, it, it came because human beings rebelled against God. They broke the world. And God has been working ever since uh, to put it back together. And he does that by initiating a rescue operation. And in this rescue operation, God comes down. God comes down. He, he comes down to be with us. He, he, he gets small, so to speak. He takes on the form of a man. He's a true human being, but truly God at the same time. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. So, so here we have Jesus of Nazareth, who is the God-man, God-man Jesus, now coming as the rescuer. And he lived the kind of life that we were supposed to live but didn't. And then he got the punishment on the cross that we deserved. And he didn't deserve, so that we can experience the mercy uh, of God in forgiveness. And what we decide to do about what Jesus did on the cross, so now we got God, man, Jesus, cross, what we, the decision we make about what Jesus did there on the cross determines what happens to us in the final resurrection. That is, at the end of the, the day, when the books are balanced, and this is not going to be a pretty picture for a lot of people. Though we all deserve judgment, we will receive, some will receive what they deserve, judgment, and others will receive what they don't deserve, and that's mercy, and they'll receive that because of the rescuer. But one, one of two things is going to happen at the end, and that is either perfect justice or perfect mercy. Punishment for everything you've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing, that's perfect justice. Or forgiveness for everything you've ever done wrong, and God misses nothing, and that's perfect mercy. So there you have it, the five points and the flow of the story, God, man, Jesus, cross, and resurrection. Yes, and I think more and more, you know, as we're in a post-Christian culture, uh, that's the story we need to tell. We need to start from Genesis 1-1, because, you know, if Genesis 1-1 is true, then atheism must be false, and so must pantheism. You know, you knock those two out right away. And also, you know, polytheism and the animistic religions as well. Right. And also, yeah, yeah, it gives you the, as you said, the context to understand, you know, the gospel. 
when when you're speaking to an atheist, you know, and you jump right into Jesus Christ and the resurrection, he's saying, well, if there is no God, there's no Son of God, no Word of God, no acts of God, and he's looking at your story as simply as fiction. Right. But, right. Yeah. You so know, there's another detail yeah. here too, Pat. I wanted to mention quickly, and 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 and. One of the values of starting at the beginning when you're laying the picture out is because probably at this moment, the most controversial elements of Christianity have to do with sexuality. They have to do with uh, sexual behavior. They have to do with gender. They have to do with dysphoria of gender and all that, that, that kind of thing. What does it mean to be male and female? And it's all tied to the larger question, what does it mean to be a human being? And uh, you cannot answer any of these questions unless you answer that prior question, what does it mean to be human? And in the very first opening chapters of the story, the foundation is laid that answers all of those issues. And even Jesus, when the question of marriage and and divorce came up in Matthew 19, he went back to the beginning and he said, this is the way it is. God made them male and female. What God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. And so notice his... his, uh, his formula, so to speak, one man with one woman becoming one flesh, that's the sex part, for one lifetime. That's Jesus' view of marriage, and it's tied to the way the world is made. So as offensive as it is to um, to certain convictions nowadays, the fact of the matter is, and I don't mean this just because the Bible says it, the Bible affirms it, but all you have to do is have eyes to see it. The fact of the matter is, is that human gender is binary. There are two of them, male and female, and there's a reason for this. They fit together. That's how we can reproduce. And if the male didn't fit the female, and the female didn't fit the male, there would be no reproduction and no further human beings. They are made to fit together. And further, it's not just physically they're made to fit together. I think psychically, soulishly, emotionally, man was made to fit woman and woman to fit man so that they would be a proper companionship. And there, right there from the very beginning, we have the foundation that speaks to all the confusion that we see today in the area of sexuality. Yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. Uh, Many argue that debate and say, well, the Bible says, you know, it is a sin, therefore it is wrong. When actually you need to get underneath that and change the worldview of, you know, the culture. If there is a God, then there is a moral law of God, which we can point to. Whereas if, you know, you're saying, well, we're Christians, you know, and the Bible says it's a sin, the atheists or you know, the pantheists sitting there at the legislature right, who just right. look at you and say, well, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in your God or, or your Bible. It looks fine right. to me. Right. Well, you know, there's two things going on there. One of them is if there is a God, well, then it seems to me reasonable that he has something to say about how we behave. <laughs> and if there is a God that made the world, then he made the world with certain intentions about how the world would operate. Just like when somebody builds an invention. They build the invention, they make the thing to operate a certain way, okay? So, so that's part of it, you know, that, that human beings are, are made by God. But you know what? You don't need to know that human beings were made by God in order to know that there are two genders. All you have to do is pay attention. 
And see, this is one of the things that I that I think is so compelling about the Christian worldview, Pat, and that is that the the, the basic details of the Christian worldview turn out to be largely obvious to the careful observer. It isn't like saying all these things that are really crazy that no one can believe. Like there's sin in the world, there's moral culpability, there's evil in the world, that there are two genders, that the human being should mate for life and all of that. This is stuff we know just by living life and paying attention to what's going on. And lots more things too like that. Yes, and another thing I think is really important that we start with Genesis 1-1. You know, I see this a lot in Asia when I'm talking in Buddhist or Hindu cultures. You know, they start right away with the gospel or the Jesus film, you know, or the Passion of the Christ, mm -hmm. which are great films, you know, but like you said, you're jumping into the middle of the story. And when you talk to the Buddhist or the Hindu and say, well, what do you think about the Passion or, you know, the story of Christ? They'll look at you and say, well, Jesus must have been a very wicked man you know, to die the death he did, he must have had a lot of bad karma there to die that kind of death. And they really don't get it. We're missing because we need to start at the beginning talking about creation, fall and God's redemption plan. Right. Right. Yeah. If they're going to, uh, if we're not careful, people are going to interpret um, the gospel or the facts of Jesus' life in light of their own worldview. And certainly, as you pointed out, uh, films like The Passion of the Christ and the Jesus film, it, there's a place for them, and this is what God uses much of the time. But they're not the panacea. And um, th when, when the, in the early church, people who were presented with the details of Jesus were Jews, and they already believed in a Messiah coming, so all, a lot of that foundation was in place. Nowadays, there's no foundation like that. And so oftentimes, to make sense of the gospel, we have to start at the beginning of the whole enterprise. And this is how we can make sense of the problem of evil. And this is how we can make sense of the charge about Jesus being the only way of salvation. Oh, that's sort of narrow-minded. No, no, no. When you understand how the story plays out, the problem of evil is not the problem for Christians that people think it is. And Jesus being the only way, this fits right in, because sometimes singular problems have singular solutions. So Jesus being the only way is only the flip side of the problem of evil. But you'll, you don't see that unless you see how the whole story fits together. And this is what I worked hard to do in the book, The Story of Reality. Yes, fantastic. This is a fantastic book here by Greg Kokel here, The Story of Reality. Greg is the founder and president of Stand to Reason. So, you know, Greg, as we bring this show to an end, tell us where people can get more information on you and the things we talked about here today. Well, I just want to throw one pitch for the book. It actually won this year's Book of the Year Award from Christianity Today. Oh, fantastic. Discipleship, so, uh, and apologetics, rather. So I just wanted to mention that. But Stand to Reason, of course, is the organization I represent. The website is str.org. And str.org. So people can go there for all the information about str. They can get the, the book there as well. Uh, they can download our podcast. I've been doing radio now. Actually, i got to update my Vita because it's 28 years now I've been wow. doing radio. And over 70 college and university campuses that I've spoken at. One at the University of Hawaii last year when I was with you, as a matter of fact. Yes. Um, and so... So uh, uh, all of that stuff is there. We have the podcast. We have uh, we have thousands of 
of articles you can download. We have over a thousand video clips that you could that helps you with all kinds of things, and we also have an app, a quick app that you can put on your iPhone, and uh, it, it works fabulous to bring you up to date on all the things we're doing to stand to reason and all the materials that we're sending out. Yes. So you've been listening to our interview with Greg Kokel, founder and president of Stand to Reason. He's going to be talking about the story of reality tactics on how to engage the tough skeptic and many more when he comes here September 21st and 22nd here to Hawaii at the Evidence and Answers Apologetics Conference here at Kalihi Union Church. So, uh, Greg, thanks for being with us, and we look forward to seeing you here live here in Hawaii. Oh, I'll be live and lively, Pat. I'm looking forward to it, too. Thanks. Once again, our time has come to a close. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show today. If you would like Pat to speak to your church, Bible study, or perhaps even at a conference, please give him a call. That's area code 808-483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers relies on generous support from you, our listeners. To keep this broadcast on the air, you have the opportunity to donate. Head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You may do so right there online on the homepage. We have a wide variety of resources available to you. Everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with your family, your friends, and your church. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran.